lined up in our parking lot taking pictures of movie stars and all you ladies going crazy I tell you what I'm not gonna be able to go away again so um, we don't have Matthew McConaughey day today but we do have our Lord and Savior amen we get to worship him but I'm glad we were able to help them at least maybe we'll show up in the movie and um, I'm hoping the sign shows up with my name on it maybe I'll get some royalties out of it who knows but happy Father's Day to all you men not only those who are biological fathers, we thank you, but also those who are spiritual fathers, and, and we just want to recognize you and thank you for all that you do. 
And um, you'll look in the worship guide, and please take note that this Wednesday morning, right in here at 9 o'clock, we'll do a psalm and prayer. If you ever have time and can be there during that time, we'll be this short time of prayer or our psalm and then praying together. And um, similar to what we did, hopefully what we did this past Sunday. But we're glad that you're here. You can see the other announcements. There's a couple other things that you can be involved in. Um, the pictorial directory is starting, and we would love for you to get your pictures made so that we can have you. It's going to be digital for the most part. We will print some copies for those who need that. But that way we can keep it updated with new people joining, and we can know who each know the people from both services and recognize who are members of our church. So please take note of where those things are taking place. But we're glad you're here. Why don't you stand and greet one another, and let's get ready to worship the Lord. pray together. Would you join me? Father, we thank you for this time together that we have to worship you. And I pray that you will be glorified in everything we say and everything we do. As we turn our eyes towards you, as we turn our eyes towards your scripture, toward the music, toward the sermon, God, we pray that you would speak to us very clearly through your word. You speak to us in many ways, but it's through your word that we hear you and see you. So God, in the songs, in the reading of scripture, even in the preaching. I pray that you will be visible to us and we will see your glory and we will worship you as you deserve to be worshiped. You know the needs that are in this room and God, I just pray for a few moments that we'll be able to turn our attention toward you and sing as you deserve to be sung to and pray as you deserve to be prayed to and that we will obey you as you deserve to be obeyed. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Scripture today is Ecclesiastes 12, 11 through 14. The words of the wise are like gourds, and their nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness, weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed unto judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. David writes in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. If you're glad you're here in the house of the Lord this morning, let's stand and sing. Come Christians, join to sing.
just tell you that New Orleans was, was good. Um, I love the city of New Orleans, the food, but if you want to see what depravity looks like and you want to see where Satan will take humanity, take a walk down some of those streets and, um, and you'll see it. People openly using drugs, sleeping in garbage bags on the street. It was heartbreaking. Um, good news is the grumpy old fundamentalist did not win. Um, the, every time you think the convention's about to turn, they turn around and by 70% elect a good godly man as president to continue. So good things. If you have questions, I would love to talk to you. Um, some I voted for, some I didn't, some I won, and some I lost. But, but for the most part, it was, it was a good convention to keep praying. Um, let's pray together. Again, we remember today is Father's Day, and, and so let's come to our, our Abba Father. Father, we love you. You are our strength. You're our rock. You're our fortress. You're our deliverer. It is in you that we take refuge. And it is on you that we call, for you are worthy to be praised. We thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you that it endures forever. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that you continually pour upon us. On this Father's Day, God, we thank you for fathers. I, I thank you for my earthly father. Could not have asked for a better man. And I thank you, Father, for the men in this room. I know their struggles. We all have the same. Some different, but we all share similar struggles. And I pray for them and ask that you would bless them and strengthen them in these, these days that we would be men of courage and that we would be men who seek after you. Father, I realize that as we sit here and talk about Father's Day, there are some in this room who, whose earthly fathers left much to be desired. But I thank you, Lord, that you are Abba, that we can call you Father, and that you are always good, always. And so we praise you, and we pray for those in our lives, maybe even some fathers here on earth who don't know you, that they would come to know you. We ask, Father, that, that we would that we would be representatives of you on this earth. And God, I, as you know, have thought a lot lately of your promises of generations who follow you when they are righteous parents. We ask for the generations, Lord, for our children's children who have yet to be born. We pray that they would call upon you and be born again for our grandchildren and our children who may be walking away we pray that you would bring the prodigals home thank you father that you are always good and you care and you love our children more than we could love them so we give them to you and we ask father that they would tell of your salvation in the days long after we're gone as we look to continue to worship through your word, we thank you for the songs. We ask God 
that as we come to you, yes, broken in many ways, but we pray that we would be ministered to today by your felt presence. Holy Spirit, we know that you are here. We know your word says that we can grieve you and that we can quench you, and we do not want to do that. So if we have in some way, forgive us. And come and sanctify us through the word of truth. Jesus, point us towards yourself. Help us to love you and praise you as you deserve to be praised. Set our minds on the heavenly things. Set our thoughts on you and you alone, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, I want to invite you to turn in James, James chapter 3. We'll turn into a new chapter. James chapter 3. And we're going to look at chapter verses 1 through the first part of verse 5. We'll pick up with the second part of verse 5 when I return back from Tanzania. Um, at the end, just help me remember, we need to pray for those who are leaving for Ecuador on Saturday and then those of us who are leaving Friday for, um, for Tanzania. We would appreciate your prayers in those times as we go. So if you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. Josh, you're young, so help me remember to pray for the mission teams, okay? It's your job. If I forget, it's Josh's fault, okay? Um, so you believe that. Um, James 1, James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships, the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. A.W. Tozier said David's life was David's life was a torrent of spiritual desire. And his psalms, this I love the way Tozier said this, David's psalms ring with the cry of the seeker and the loud shout of the finder. The psalms ring with the cry of the seeker and the glad shout of the finder. I mentioned the book last week, and I'll mention it again, A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. I'd encourage you to read it. He, he stresses the fact that, that salvation is only the beginning of our glorious pursuit of our Savior. It's a necessary beginning, but it's just the beginning. It starts us in a journey, but, but the race is to be run. And we must run it until He comes or until He calls us home. When we seek God, when we seek His presence, when we realize that, that we've indeed, as Paul says, been raised with Christ, and, and we start to seek the things that are above where Christ is, when we set our minds on the things above and not on the things on the earth, everything changes. Everything about us changes. 
We see that here in James. James addresses the teachers, and, and he's writing from a culture. As you remember, he's writing to the 12 tribes of dispersion. He's writing to Jewish believers. So he's writing from a culture that placed high regard on the rabbi, on the teacher. It was a, a position of respect, and, and, and he's writing to a group of people, and it would seem that, that some of the believers were, were seeking the position of teacher inside the church for the prestige, for the ambition of, of man's applause. But James comes right out of the bat. We've seen this several times in James's writings. He, he gives us a warning. Look at that first thing, the warning. He says at the very first one, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now James is turning the page in his thought, but he's really continuing his thought. He's moving to a new subject, but, but he's already addressed this subject and, and, and made it where we were prepared for it. In chapter 1, verse 19, he told us to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. In chapter 1, verse 26, he introduces the idea of bridling the tongue. And he warns us that if we don't bridle the tongue, we make our religion worthless. He continues to do this with specific warnings, a specific warning to teachers. And why is that so important? Why is it so important? We think about what he's been saying about the word of truth. He says we're born again by the word of truth. It's how we come to know the Lord. He saves us through the word of truth. He, he implants the word inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And that implanted word begins to sanctify us. We begin to grow in him. And, and he speaks of the law of liberty and that, that we must learn to obey. And he'll say more about that in the days to come. But, but the teacher is, is gifted by God. And it's the teacher that, that shows us the hope to which we've been called. It's the teacher that shows us the riches of our inheritance in Christ. It's the teacher that shows us the power by which God changes us, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about your teachers. I think about those from First Baptist Ocean Springs and First Baptist Boaz who, who wondered if I heard a word they said. But I think about him. I, I still think of Mr. and Mrs. Hodge, retired missionaries from First Ocean Springs who who baffled me because they never looked at a hymn book. They just stood and sang every verse. And as a child, I started noticing it, and I tested them with every single hymn, and they never fell. They taught us fifth and sixth grade training union. Thank God for them. Thank God for the teachers that have been in our life. I always wonder what happened to the old man that, that taught us RAs. <laughs> I've told you this before, we, this is terrible. We, we met in the, first, in the original sanctuary, had no air conditioning, so the windows were open, and, and he, would, he prayed. And, and as he prayed, we all slipped out of the window and were gone when he said amen. And <laughs> he knew it wasn't the rapture because he was still there and we were gone. But, but I wonder what happened to those guys that put up with knuckleheads like me and the pastor's son, Jonathan Altman, and others. But I'm thankful for them. And what James is telling us here is 
is that we, we need to be careful when we step into the role of teacher because, because we don't do it for man's applause. We, we shouldn't seek to appoint ourselves. Rather, we should follow God's call. And God's call in our life and God's gifting in our life because if we set ourselves in those positions, we place ourselves in dangerous positions. Jesus spoke of those who who love the place of honor. We study that in Luke's gospel. Who love the place of honor and love to be called rabbi or teacher. He warned us that, that people who do it for the honor will, will, will lead people astray. And here James picks up on that and he warns us that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Pastors are to be above reproach. And you should hold me that way. But understand, it's not just pastors, but it's your deacons. It's your Sunday school teachers. It's our missions teachers. Anyone who takes the role of teaching should live a life above reproach. I didn't mean say perfect, though we strive for that. But we ought to see that we don't just teach what the Word says, but that we live out what the Word says. Not just teach it, but live it. A teacher puts himself or herself out before others week after week. And what we say and what we do in the Sunday school class or in the missions class or the discipleship classes or here in the pulpit, what we say and what we do is important. Eternity rests on our rightly dividing the word of truth. Eternity rests on our not living in a different way so as to turn people off from the gospel. So you read verse 1, you say, well, shouldn't you just refuse to be a pastor? I mean, shouldn't Josh just give that up and not pastor? Shouldn't you just not be a teacher? Wouldn't it be easier? No, no. If God has called you and God has gifted you there, you, you, will, you, you must do it. There's a fire, Jeremiah said, in your bones. You, you have to do it. And the truth is, if God has called you to do it and gifted you to do it and you don't do it, you'll be judged for not doing it. But just do it for the right reasons. Do it because you're called. Do it because you're gifted. Do it for the glory of God. I've discovered that some of our best Sunday school teachers aren't always the, the ones gifted to teach as much as they are gifted to shepherd. Now, they've got to have some teaching abilities. But they, they shepherd the classes and they minister to the classes. Do it for the glory of God. The great hope is that the calling that God gives you, the calling that God places in you, will we'll show people the, the riches of their inheritance and they'll grow toward Christ-likeness because of your teaching, because of your life. He gives us a warning, but then he gives us a second point. He gives us the key to holy living. The key to holy living. Now, when I give you that point and you read verses 2 through 5a, it's hard to see. Where's the key? Well, hang with me. I'm going to show you. 
There's a key here to living a holy life. It, it really is a key. It is the key. James says, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. That word stumble is a word that, that speaks of being ruined. It speaks of being defeated. It's a word that speaks of making a mistake. Simply, it's a word that means to sin. And so when you look at this verse, James says, for we all sin in many ways. It's not that he's excusing it. He's not. We should never excuse it in our lives either. We, but, but it's truth. We, we know that, that we still battle the flesh and will continue to battle the flesh until God calls us home. Many stumble in many ways. And, but look what he says. He's, he's stating the obvious. We all stumble. We all sin in many ways. And if someone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Now let's stop there for a moment. What does he mean, perfect? It's the, the same sense. Turn back to chapter 1 for a second. It's the same sense that we see in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You remember this? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter or meet various trials, trials of many kinds, trials of various kinds. Don't memorize it in one translation and read it from another. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may, here it is, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When James uses this word perfect, he, he uses it like he did in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It's not that we're sinless, but, but it's that we're complete, that we're mature. We ought to be growing in our maturity. Yes, we strive for sinlessness. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And, 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 and the Bible goes through these virtues and, and tells us if, we, if these things are growing in us, we will not fail. We, we can walk in holiness. But, but as we look at this, he's saying be mature. He's not talking about sinlessness here. He's talking about maturity here. He's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, why would James say, that if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. Before I answer that, I'll, I'll just point out two of James's illustrations here. First, he gives us the bit. The bit. You put a bit in a horse's mouth and you control it. No matter how big, how powerful it is, you can make a horse that's been broken with a bit do what you want it to do. Think about how huge some of those animals are, how powerful they are. And yet, while it is able to crush you, even a toddler who knows how to handle the rain can, can make a horse do what it wants to do with a bit in its mouth. And so he uses the bit. He says the powerful animal can be controlled. But then he uses a second illustration of the rudder, the rudder. Look at the ships also, he says. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, when you're in New Orleans, you have to go to the Cafe Du Monde and you have to get beignets and coffee, right? And then right there's the river, so you go up to the river and, and you sit there and you watch those large ships coming down the river, coming up the river. 
they're coming and by this time driven by a captain who knows the river but there's a rudder on those ships that that directs it or in some cases there's a barge but that that's just another illustration this is this is a rudder and that rudder is maybe huge but it's small in comparison to the ship the ship is driven it's it, it's, it's directed by the captain and the rudder and the idea of the rudder is the same idea of the bit it's control you control the rudder you control the ship you control the bit you control the horse you control the tongue you control the body this is why it's the key to the holy living look at verse 5 so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things as we'll see next week, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The scripture says a lot about the tongue. Write these verses down in Psalm 39:1. I said, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Next week, we will, we will see the destructive power of the tongue. But let me show you why James says what he says. Why this is the key to holiness. Why does David pray, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth? Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Psalm 141.3. Why? What we say is really just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? What comes out of our mouth is the fruit of our heart. What we say comes from our heart. Sometimes people will say things, and I will say things, and you will say things, and say, well, I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, we did mean to say it. We just didn't mean to say it where you could hear it. It was in our heart. That's why it came out. What comes out of our mouth is the fruit of our heart. So think about what James is saying here. You control everything when you can control the words. When you can control your words, you can control your body. I love a button in my car when we're traveling. It's a button that locks the windows. I hate to be riding down the road with the air just like I like it, and all of a sudden one of my girls in the back lowers the window. You know that popping noise it makes? It makes your eardrums pop. I hate that feeling. So I lock the windows. Yes, I know it's a control thing, but I lock the windows. They've got buttons that up and down the windows, not unless I undo the button. They can't do it. Now, Kim can, and I'm not, I'm not dumb. Kim can do what she wants to with her window, but my girls can't. That button controls it. See, James is saying that's the way the tongue is. If you control what you say, you, you do it because you're learning to control what you think. You know why? Because you think in words. You think, you, you cannot think a thought without words, right? 
And so what we think comes into our mouth. So somehow we, as Paul tells us, we set our minds on the things above. And when our minds are set on the things above, not on the things of the earth, we systematically, again Paul, put to death what is earthly in us. I cannot tell you, I've been sharing with you how hard it is for me to put to death sarcasm. I am trying. Sometimes people just make it so easy for me to be sarcastic. But I've got to put it to death. We have to understand what the scripture says, that we have to put to death what is earthly in us. Look at what Paul says there. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. We put those things to death, but that's not all that he says we put to death. He also says that we put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. control how you think. You, you set your mind on the things above. You, you begin to think the things of God, then it will come out of you. And when you control that, the things that jump in your mind won't always come out. You control your tongue, you control the body. Peter picks up on it. He said, put away all malice. Paul also tells us not to lie to one another, but he says, and Peter says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. How do we do that? Peter says we do it by longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's word because like babies, we grow by it. We long for God's word. We long to grow in salvation. And one of the things that helps us grow in salvation is how we talk, how we think, what we say. Paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There are sacrifices we have to, be, have to make. Not everyone needs to hear everything we think. And that's hard for a preacher to know. But we have to. I listened to a sermon at the convention, and I agreed with everything he said. But when I walked away, I thought, he didn't preach the word. He just threw a fit and got on to everybody he was mad at. Understand that, that what we're supposed to do is to use our words to bring glory to God. He, he tells us in this verse, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to say to you, words matter. They matter when we speak them. They matter when we put them on Twitter. They matter when we put them on Facebook. They, they matter whatever we put on any social media that we send. Words matter. They matter when we speak them. They matter when we think them. The enemy comes after us in our thoughts, doesn't he? You ever been having those, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this, I doubt it, but those moments of prayer, 
God's just moving in your life and all of a sudden something vile just pops in your mind. Where did that come from? The enemy. It matters how we think. And when we allow the Word of God to be the focus of our thinking, church, when we allow the Word of God to be the point of our meditation, when the Spirit of God begins to control our minds through His implanted Word, His Word changes our words. Find someone loose at the lip, and you'll find someone who's loose with the Word. When the Word's in our mind, when that's dominating our thoughts, it comes to us. Think of it. You, you plan your goals with words, right? You plan it out with words. You, you plan revenge with words. You even lust with images and words. The tongue is just like the bit. It's just like the rudder. It represents a small part of us, but it controls the entirety of our being. It controls how we think and what we say. So you learn to control it. You can learn to control your body. How do you do that? It starts with the mind. That's the key. Hiding God's Word in your heart. That's the secret. If you haven't noticed lately, I've been referring to Colossians 3 a lot. I, I'm, I'm just falling in love. You, you probably can guess that'll be the next book that I preach through. A chapter... 3 speaks of how we do this in Colossians. He says, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put them all away. Put on the new self. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Put on love. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, teach and admonish one another and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus. He goes on to say, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's what we learned in Psalm 119, isn't it? Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man, how can a young woman keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119, 11, I grew up memorizing, I've hidden it. ESV says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. We must find a way to allow the Holy Spirit to replace our words with His Word. Somehow to, to, to so meditate on the Word of God and so hide it in our heart that His Word dominates what we say. I don't mean you're always quoting Scripture. That's okay. But the Word dictates how you say what you say. It's the key to holiness. It's the key to controlling the tongue. It's the key to, to holy living. Allowing the Spirit to lead you to walk in Him. I've been asking, I've been asking God to, to set a guard over my mouth and over my eyes and over my heart and over my mind. And every time I find Scripture dealing with that, I'm putting it in my prayer journal and I'm praying it day after day after day. I'm asking God to help me. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to take over my inner being. That I will think like he thinks and I won't grieve him. That I'll be renewed into the image of Christ. So I'd ask you today, how's your mouth? 
I don't know about you, but I remember my mama washing my mouth out with soap. That was never pleasant, you know? I'd rather get a whooping than have my mouth washed out with soap. But what are you known for? At work, at home. How are you doing with the words of your mouth, the words of your mind? How much does God's word control us? Do we long for God? Do we long to be like him, to please him? I'm reading a little book by R.T. Kendall. It's amazing what Amazon can do. I ordered it two days ago and got it yesterday. It's called The Sensitivity of, to the Spirit. And, and I thought it was talking about how we can be sensitive to the Spirit, but it's a book about the sensitivity of the Spirit. I didn't plan on sharing this because I just read it last night. But this couple felt led by God to move to Jerusalem, missions there. And when they moved into an apartment in Jerusalem... A set of doves took up residence in their window. And they were thinking about the dove and all things, and they just took it maybe as a sign from God they were doing the right thing, but they noticed something about the dove. When they were loud in the house, when they slammed the doors, when, when maybe they got loud laughing, the doves flew away. But when they would eat and when they would be quiet, when they would just enjoy the fellowship of one another without a lot of noise, the doves would return. And they were talking about it, and they said, you know, if we want to keep the doves, we're going to have to adjust the way we live. And then they tied it into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's easily grieved. He's easily quenched. He's sensitive. And he's not going to adjust to us. He's not going to say, there's John, he's just sarcastic. There's old so-and-so, yeah, he tells a lot of dirty jokes. He's not going to adjust to that. It quenches him, puts out his fire in our life. He doesn't go away. I don't mean we lose our salvation. I just mean we lose his power, we lose his direction. We... It's like... It's like Mary and Joseph leaving Jerusalem and leaving Jesus. They went a whole day before they realized they'd left Jesus. It took them three days to find him. It takes a lot longer to find the Spirit after you've grieved him than it does to lose the Spirit. It's like Samson getting up and walking out. He didn't know the Spirit had left him. How easy for us to grieve him quench him. Listen to what Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell means to be at home so that Christ may be at home in you. He's in you, yes, but is he at home in you? Is he at home? Ask him to take over your life. 
Ask him not just to be a guest, but to be at home. Let him, let him add what needs to be added to you. Let him take out what needs to be taken out. Let him reconstruct what's damaged in you. Let him, let him reword what needs to be reworded, and let him rearrange what needs to be rearranged. Let him direct you. And you'll control the body. You'll live the victorious life. You'll live the life in the spirit. And you'll begin to see that you gratify the desires of the flesh less and less. Amen? May I ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Listen, I, I'm the first one to tell you I am not perfect in these areas. I've made many mistakes with my words. I have failed in many ways. And I think it's because I knew that I'd be preaching on this that God began to lead me to pray like I've been praying. Because I knew I couldn't stand up here and preach these things if I wasn't trying to do those things. So I wonder today, how's your mouth? Is Jesus at home in you? Again, I don't mean, if he's not in you, you can be saved. And, and please hear me. If he's not in you, if the Spirit's not in you, call upon him and he will save you. Repent of your sin and turn away from those things. And ask him to save you. He will. I'd be happy to help you with that. I know many of you are saved. Father, forgive us when we treat sin lightly. Again, when we make big sins and little sins out of things and fail to realize you died for those things through Christ. Help us with our mouths. You created them for praise and for worship, for building up, for admonishing and teaching, for singing psalms and spiritual songs. You created our mouths to glorify you. And the enemy so quickly distorts it. Forgive us. I pray, God, that you would begin this journey with us now as we seek to, to let our tongue be a rudder or a bit in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That control will be given over and that you will direct us towards your glory. We're going to stand and sing. If God's calling you to do something public, Tim and I will be here to help you with that. Let's stand together and sing.
As I said, Friday is a group of 12 or 11. Lake's already there. Keep praying for Lake Minor in Tanzania. We're going to join him where he is and be on mission for a week, a little over a week. And um, so 12 of us, 11 total leaving Friday. And then how many, Tim? 12? No. Eight. Eight from our church joining a team, a total of 42 in Ecuador. So please be in prayer. If you're going on one of those trips, would you just slip your hand up in a moment so people can see who you are? Raise them high so people can see you. There we go. Um, so be in prayer for them. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that we can go on mission. I thank you, Father, that, um, that our church is a church that sins and prays for those as they go. Not everyone can go this time, but they can pray, and we do pray. And God, we do not want to neglect to pray for those in our church who are hurting and those who are sick. We continue to lift Rita to you, Father, and pray for your healing. We lift Ray Johnson to you and pray for your strength. We pray for Scott Fields that he would continue to recover. We pray for those who lost loved ones recently and ask that you would comfort them. We pray, Father, that you would bless them. I pray for Miss Coral's daughter-in-law, that you would be with her as, as Sherry as she battles with chemo. We ask God that you would be with those who have needs that we have no idea, but you do. Thank you. Bless our Sunday school time now. We pray. Watch over us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.